you will see how perfectly that fits in with where we end up today. So it is a beefy bit of scripture. Let me lay us out from the beginning, just so we're clear. Um, If you're not challenged by this, what I bring today, then I fear that's because you've either potentially become completely complacent and therefore you're a little bit self-righteous about where you are in your walk, or you've chosen your salvation as some kind of a moment in your life when you got saved and then decided just to pursue nothing really in response. So nice, nice gentle start. Here is my request to you. It might be even more than a request, an insistence. And whether you're new to the faith or you're a long-time Christian, if I don't convey today the challenges I experienced when I was preparing, then you need to tell me. Don't go into some hush corner and say, Andy did not a rubbish job. Tell me straight, and then I'll do better next time. I promise you that. That's what I want from a church family. I want this church family to be honest, to have the courage and to model the behaviours I believe we're supposed to. As brothers and sisters who model God, and very much as Hannah was saying, model God, reflect God, keep nothing hidden, we can correct well when it's done in love. So if you, even if you're someone just exploring Christianity, or perhaps you're just struggling with it, today I'm going to try and refute that Christianity is some kind of a moral code you're supposed to live by, a set of rules or some set of behavior you're supposed to follow legalistically. And I think many actually see Christianity like that, more and more so, I've found, in these days. So don't do it. It's so sad. But someone says the church is seen as some rule-making machine and don't see it as a place of grace and a place where lives are enriched. So last time I um, preached to you, I spoke to you, I told you I drafted it in a hairdresser's. I don't know if you remember that. It was a last-minute thing. Hadn't gone well. I had to prep it in a hairdresser's. And hopefully this will now work. Ah, good. This one, uh, carrying on the theme of where strange preach preps goes, this is where this one was prepped. On a plane, because I was in Malaysia this week. And on Friday, I flew from Kuala Lumpur to Abu Dhabi, and then Abu Dhabi, three hours later, home. And I wrote this preach on that flight. So it was written somewhere around here. It began, I had lunch, dinner about there, and then I finished it about there. So, it took some work. And by way of warning, as I was preparing it, um, I decided I was going to do something at the end of it, which is close to emotional blackmail. And I don't really care too much, as long as it helps, but it will be close to emotional blackmail. And that's coming at the end. Dan used loads of props if you were here last week. He did a really solid job for me. I really enjoyed what he did. And he brought some props, so I've got some props too. Not to be outdone. But at the end, I've got two cracking props. They will wipe his props out completely. And you can tell him because he's out today. And today, he's redoing what he did last week in front of Impact. He's gone prop crazy, but I've got him beat. And you can tell him that one. Mine are top, top notch. So today, we're going to look at Ephesians 5, 1 to 20. But unlike the normal way you do it, which is read out the whole scripture, the whole thing, I think this whole thing is indigestible. So I'm going to work through it in chunks. I'm going to read Ephesians 5, 1 to 2, first of all, um, and I'll come back to it at the end at my close. I think I've got it up here, and if I haven't, I'll just read it out to you. I do. So it says, therefore, and if you remember when I was here preaching last time, I said, if there's a therefore, you need to find out what it's there for. And it's usually because something's been said, therefore, you're going to have to respond to it in some way. And it says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. 
and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So let me just try something. Who is this? Trump. All I had was that. Bit of a frowny face. Bit of this. It's going to be a great preach. Going to be the best. Going to be a great preach. Going to be a great preach. We're going to build a wall between the righteous and the unrighteous. And Mexico is going to pay. No, it's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. It's going to, and it's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. It's this. You know, before I even spoke, though, and did my weak impression of him, just this is enough to say that's Trump, isn't it? And many impersonators like Rory Bremner and John Coleshaw have said, like, Trump is an absolute... There's nothing political, by the way. It's not going to go political on Trump. But he's so easy to impersonate because he's got such a distinctive character. It only takes a couple of things to make people think, oh, Trump. And um, John Coleshaw, I think I've got a picture of him, that looks nothing like Trump. He's a short guy with curly hair. And yet when Coleshaw puckers up his mouth and starts to do this, because Trump's always doing this with his hands, and then does the voice, is incredible, before he even does it, you're thinking, oh, he's doing Trump. And all Trump does is wear a suit and a tie, so he's got no physical attributes as such, but a moment of, like, pouty lips, that, and we're off, yeah? So what does it mean, therefore, to be an imitator of God? I mean, that's a really, really big calling, And the word actually used in the Greek around this sort of imitator of God is the same word from which we get mimic. So it actually says, mimic God. Mimic him. And so we are not to try and be God or be Jesus. We are look to the character, study it, look at how he's behaving, because that's what impersonators do. They study very closely the mannerisms and the characteristics. And then we're supposed to do our best way using our lives to copy and mimic his character. Why? For a laugh? No, not for a laugh. This isn't comedy, although it can be joyful. Because to mimic God's character means we mimic a loving, patient, forgiving, guiding, holy, good, good father. And all the things we sing about. That's who we're trying to mimic And when we do all that, it's not just us that's receiving the blessing, but it's those around us that see the impact of it. Those, the world gets blessed if we are those that mimic God consistently. It isn't about just what we might gain from that, as Dan kind of thought when we said that song, sang that song again and said, well, we believe this, because we collectively can be a tremendous blessing to the town of Watford. And that's generally good news. If all we do is look like and love like God, love like Jesus, selflessly and sacrificially, then we become like Jesus and we're a sweet fragrance to God. And that's got to be good. I mean, if we really love our parents, we look to emulate some of what they do, yeah? In the verse, we're described as his dear children. That's how we're described. Dear, my dear children. So we're precious to him. And if we're true Christians, we're dear to God because we've asked him, would you adopt me into your family? Would you adopt me as your son or daughter? And he's interested in us. He's interested more than any earthly parent can be. It's funny enough, the thing that came to mind was, of course, what Sue read out. He knows every hair on my head. And I love Jess and Joel, my kids, so much, but I do not know every hair on their heads. And mine are decreasing, but no one knows mine either. I remember the first time, I'm probably going to make Jane cry now, the first time you t- I took, or we took them to kind of like pre, what's that thing, preschool? Not the preschool one, but the one in between. Reception. 
and you, you let them go in. And you stand there and you watch them and they're looking and you're looking at them and then they go around the corner. You're just trying to catch one last glimpse of their shoulder going in. But what do you do then? You stand there waiting for a while to the edge of when it gets a little bit creepy, frankly, to see if they just come back into view one more time or you can see them through the window. That's how much I love to see them and I felt as they kind of were growing and venturing into new things, just trying to see one more glimpse of them. And God loves us more than that. He's infinite in his love, every hair on our head. But just remember this, a poorly behaved child also reflects poorly on a parent. Not a toddler, I'm saying, because toddlers are a little bit difficult, they're babies and things, but, but actually when they start to develop their character, behavior can seen as a blessing, oh, that's, that's really honoring, or actually somewhat a result of poor parenting, perhaps. And I don't want to share too much of this story because I've got lots of stories about how I prepped for this thing. But I sat down on the plane because I prepped all the time while I was away. I flew out to Malaysia, which is 17 hours, by the way. It's not easy. And I flew out on uh, Monday morning and I got my, to my seat. It was a lovely seat. And I thought, good. And I had my books ready to read. And in front of me in the road in front, this screaming child comes in. And the mother of the screaming child says to the, to the cabin, don't worry, he won't scream, he settles down really quickly. Sorry about this, don't worry, he won't scream, he'll settle down really quickly. He screamed for like three hours solid. And he didn't stop. And I felt for her because she's thinking, she's trying everything she can to get this child to be quiet. But it's like she couldn't control him. And I was thinking it's difficult because people are now thinking, well, you know, perhaps you need to do something differently. And of course, that's a difficult moment because people are saying, that's not looking good. And they're looking at her because they can't look to the kid. They're looking at her like, do something about this. You've never seen so many headphones on with earplugs in, turned up loud, trying to drown the sound out. So I'm thinking about this and I turn my uh, little thing on to listen to some music. I need something to drown out the noise of the screaming child. And the first song I play is by Alicia Keys. I don't know the album, but I thought, well, I know her. I just hit the button. First song is called The Gospel and it says, so we're all God's children. That's the first line of the song. And I'm kind of right. We're all God's children. We all have to think about that we reflect the father in so many ways. So we reflect our children, uh, our parents, and as Christians, we should try and live in a manner that reflects our Heavenly Father in a way that is pleasing and honoring to Him. So just when you thought that was good, that's going quite well. However, in comes a word into Scripture that changes the entire tone of the writer. The writer is Paul of this letter, if you don't know that, of Ephesians, and it shifts and reveals what we might want to mimic God, what we might want to do it, it's actually going to be quite tricky. Not going to be that easy. And he reveals it. And he sees the potential issues. And he's talking to believers who are new believers, full of zeal at the time. And it starts to get, he's saying it's going to get a bit bumpy. It's going to get a bit turbulent along the way. And he's about to actually call them out and call us out on a whole load of stuff. And while he won't leave us hanging there, while he, while he reveals this stuff, it's still painful reading. It's like the the moment of the caterpillar's transformation. It's sort of, this is, there's a lot going on here and it's actually quite difficult and thankfully we are protected during that time of transformation. And it's not a single event. It takes a life of following Jesus to, to really work through the transformation. But things start to happen. It's incredible. But it's painful reading because he's going to list out some stuff that's actually the opposite to mimicking God. He's going to say, this is completely the opposite to what it's like to mimic God. And therefore, it reflects badly on our Father if we do these things. And the word it all starts with, in three to four, is quite pivotal. Sorry. After all that encouragement in one and two, which is good stuff to read, he says, uses this word to kick it off. But, 
This is good stuff, but, but, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetedness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Saints, be, be careful if you think saints are saints, we're the saints. The saved are saints. He's talking to everybody. When you're saved and you're a, a member of God's kingdom, you're a saint and therefore this behavior is inappropriate if that's what you claim to be. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Ah, Paul, come on, mate. Come on, Paul. This is the 2000s. That's a long time ago. Now things are different. Well, firstly, let me say, Paul was in Ephesus, which, if you don't know, is a morally pretty corrupt place. There's orgies going on in temples. So it's not like they were all clean and like well There's lots of stuff that he's reflecting, which actually we could reflect now about a society that's generally highly driven by sexual immorality and impurity. So anyone that says that's about then and this is different, that's the kind of, he was talking to people who are generally quite, no, he's talking to a society very much like ours today. Anything that puts that slant on it, it's a lie. It's a disaster, it's a disaster. <laughs> Another Trump. Anyway. What is Paul saying here? Well, one thing's clear. Sexual impurity, foulness, and lust is not, fi- not fitting of a Christian. Your online behavior might be the one thing that you think of today, but he's actually outlining a dirty mind. And you don't need the internet for that. You don't need the internet for that. Also, what, why the stuff about joking, about sexual stuff? And then this instruction to sort of be thankful. That's kind of a strange thing. It's not... Joking about sexual stuff is opposed by being thankful. How does that doesn't seem to work very smartly together? Well, it's not supposed to be that. It doesn't mean that we're the Christian church and us. This is a difficulty for us. It doesn't mean that. And we've done something wrong with, with sex as a church. We've made it become dirty and become foul and become somewhat embarrassing. We once did a series in this church called Good Sex. And I don't think we quite got it. What we're saying is God created it and it's a beautiful, wonderful thing inside of the construct that he created for, which is marriage. It's not a dirty thing, but society's made it dirty and we've fallen for the same kind of problem now. It's like, don't talk about it. It's just dirt. No, he's saying, no, I want it to be redeemed. We've made it something naughty, but it's a gift from God to be enjoyed. What this scripture is saying is rather than make it dirty and have it operate outside of marriage and become seedy and crude and jokey about and everything else, redeem it and celebrate it as a gift of God in the right context. Sex in Christian marriage should be a blessing and a gift. It should not be an area of contention, but an area of giving. That's why our marriage vows, we say this, with my body, I honor you. As Christ gave himself for the church. Paul is using the prevalence of sex in Ephesus, so most of the UK now, to say sex, and be clear he's talking about lust, outside of God's covenant, and spoken about as such and joked about, is not fitting amongst us, and it needs to stop. So for some of you here today, it needs to stop. It's reflecting badly on our Father. If we join those jokes, which are actually putting sex in completely the wrong context, and it needs to stop. 
But that's not the only thing he's talking about. Now, at some point, Paul's writing takes another turn, and I'm really thankful to John Stott's book here, um, because it really lays it out well for me, that how he breaks it down into four themes. And I'm going to use sort of those themes to try and get through all this today. It's a lot to get through. Like I said, it's almost indigestible. But the themes are judgment in 5 to 7, light 8 to 14, wisdom in 15 to 17, and then fullness in the spirit in 18 to 21. So in the time I've got, I'm going to try and do my best to give some insight into all of those, but I can't go into all four in depth. Um, And at the end, I'll try and bring it back around to the very beginning where we began. And by the way, on board, as we take this on board, I want us to think about something Martin Lloyd-Jones says in his book, which is really good. I think I might have put it up there. If I didn't, I'll read it again. No. He says this, There is nothing more dangerous to the life of the soul than to always be reading our favorite passages. We must take scripture as it is, not simply take what pleases us. So, judgment. Now, as the dentist often says, now this will hurt a little and then puts you through incredible pain. This is going to hurt a little. And if you're someone who thinks or says or thinks that Christians don't behave at all well, well, Paul actually quite agrees with us, agrees with you if you think that. Some don't. Some behave really well, but let's be clear. He's saying many do. And sadly, we seem to be more judged on our flaws than our successes. I love what was brought out today about sort of just how the church blesses, but it's funny enough, we're often more judged than when we do something we could have done better. People sort of, I was thinking this morning, people sometimes say, oh, you know, the sound isn't, you know, a bit loud or a bit muffly, not very good sound today. It's a shame. If you looked at how much cabling has to be we were trying to get this to work today. It's like literally is crazy trying to get this set up every single week. I don't know the last time anyone thanked the tech people for the work they do, but we'll tell them if the sound's bad. No, we won't tell them. Actually, we'll go down the corridor over coffee and say, I'm mean, awful, I, you know, terrible, isn't it? Say nothing to the people that do it. That was a sidetrack, but maybe it's on, on message a little bit. Paul knows he wants to give us a truly stark wake-up call, and he says, for this you may be sure that Everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God has come upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Take a chill pill, Paul. Calm down, mate. This seems to be like a condemning statement. And in some ways... It is, because Paul is pointing out that if this is how you live, then you're not living as one in whom which, who has become part of the kingdom of righteous, a holy kingdom where we don't fornicate, we don't lust after things. To do so is to say that we've got the salvation bit, oh, thank you for that bit, but have no real desire to switch kingdoms. So we're staying in this kingdom, even though we've got the gift of this kingdom. So we end up with our feet in two camps, which won't work. And the second half of it says to watch out for the way that the world will bend and twist things to the point that we just slide into that pattern again. It says, don't be deceived by the way that the world will speak. I suppose the good news is that Paul's recognizing this is all a big risk for us and that being saved, and that means giving your life to the Lord, saying, will you be Lord of my life, does not mean we're free from temptation as before. As we see later, though, there's a great way to keep all this stuff at bay. So we will get somewhere good. 
but we are to disassociate ourselves with the old way of life. Where if you've always believed in Jesus, I'm just not going to go into the pattern of the world. And if you're someone here today who says, I'm actually at no risk of that, let me say that I believe Paul is using that one example around fornication and lust, but he's really saying don't follow the pattern of the world in general. Remember, he's following on still from the principle of imitating God, and God has many facets to his character. So in other scriptures, we're going to read about don't gossip. We're told to not let the sun go down on our anger. And sometimes we think that just means the people we're close to. But actually, he means generally speaking, if you're frustrated with someone, don't let the sun go down on it, do something about it. So I argue if anyone's got to the point of anger and intolerance and say nothing but complain behind closed doors, we are not reflecting the character of God. We've become a gossip. And the reason I knew today might be tough is because those who know they're not imitating God actually need some help. And people sometimes become very blind to their sin. Me too. After a period of time, you become blind to actually, I'm not reflecting the character. The way I deal with this area of my life, I, it's not good. It's not the way God would have me. I don't want to accuse you. I stand accused of not being a great guy for modeling the character of God. So Christians new and aged, or mature as we prefer to call ourselves, we need to confess we've got some very worldly habits and ask for forgiveness and ask for help to do something about it. Because there is good news. There is good news. A truly repentant heart that says, God, I know I should not be acting this way, is where grace just pours out. That's how your father works. That's what he does. He says your inheritance remains secure if you're a repentant person who repents of their sin. Light. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. That is massive scripture. That could take months to explore. So I can't, so I'll do what I can with the bits I've got. Firstly, Paul does not say you were in darkness, and now you are in the light. He says you were darkness, and now you are light. These things escape us sometimes. We read scripture and we don't really stop to think about what does that actually mean? We miss some big messages sometimes. The big message here is about transferring from one kingdom into another kingdom. So from the kingdom where we do what we want and so end up with a world that's full of so much difficulty, not just sexual stuff, but theft and immorality and work and the way that finance works and the way that it's so selfish. And that's a world of darkness that has darkness over it. And in that world, it never seems to be at peace with itself. It's always struggling and it can't settle. And we know that. Our world just seems incapable of settling. No matter what we get, we're still struggling as a world to settle down. And actually, we're part of that system. We're part of that darkness. If we're in that kingdom... 
And when we become God's children, we leave that dark place and we join a place of light and we become light. So we were once darkness, but now we are light. We're not in darkness and now in light. We were once part of one system and now we're part of a new system. What does that mean on the world stage? That's where IJM and people like that do an incredible job because they become light into the world situations. But we're light too. In all those things I covered up earlier, I covered earlier, we're trying to bring them into the light. We're supposed to, supposed to be leading a life that exposes not just injustice, but impurity. Hence why we, didn't, we don't swear. We don't use crude jokes. We contrast the darkness with light. We don't, in secret, look at porn on our computers or talk about how hot some celebrities. We don't watch Geordie Shore and think it's harmless because it's from the kingdom of darkness. Sorry, people who watch Geordie Shore, I know a few. It's part of a kingdom of darkness. And we're not in that kingdom. We're in another kingdom, a kingdom of light. If you don't know what Geordie Shore is, you are very blessed. (laughs) Trust me. It's not harmless. We don't backbite, we don't snipe, we praise and we lovingly correct so that we're light in a dark world. And that's what light does in a dark world. We don't bitch at school no matter how annoying someone is, because we are light shining into darkness. There's a great message. It's got a gospel flavor. If we show how that being in God's kingdom means that we don't follow the patterns of the world, Romans 12, 2, one of my favorite scriptures, then we start learning what's good and pleasing to God. There it is. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed like a caterpillar by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Because that leads neatly on to wisdom. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Honestly, this is like a year's worth of teaching in these verses. It is so strong, and if we need to chew on it for some periods of time, I think. This is going to have to be a short one. Remember, Christianity is a walk. It's a journey. And again, thankfully, Paul is acknowledging that that's not an easy journey. It's got its bumps, it's got its ups and downs, as Jane Woodall testified today. I'm solid in God, but this is like one of the toughest cliffs I've had to climb. I'm still in his path. I'm still walking with him. He still has me. The overriding message here is to be wise. Don't be unwise. Don't be foolish. And that's okay. We all agree. That's fine. But I think Paul is saying you have little or no excuse. The idea is you behave like a God imitator. And the way you do is not fit. And you can't pretend you don't know. You do know. And when you don't know, the Spirit will convict you, as he may be doing today, as he did for me as I got and prepared this whole thing together. Don't kid yourself, Paul is saying. You know full well, you know this is not the way of goodness. Don't play dumb. I'm not wearing it. Not me, Paul, but I'm not wearing it either, on me personally. He sent us on the very current issue as well, something that's very prevalent for today, the poor use of time. Because Paul's aware that there are so many distractions. And perhaps this is good thing to share during the time of Lent. You need to potentially give up some stuff if you can't find time to pray, to read, to meditate on God, and to figure out, like an impersonator would do, trying to do a difficult impersonation, the exact character of God. You may need to give something up. If you're too busy to fit church in regularly or get to midweek group, 
in your life, then Paul would say, stop kidding yourself. That means you can't fit it in, so something has to go. You're just being unwise with your time. Time is a real battle. And listen, let me be brutally honest with you. I have to fight in order to save, the, to, to save enough time to serve this church, to serve you. I've got a full, very, very full-time job. I'm not an employee of this church. I have, I've tried to message this week on Facebook. I didn't mean it too manipulative, but just let you know, I'm all over the planet right now, and I'm finding time to prioritize the Word and you guys over sleep. And I do get enough sleep. But there's so many things I could have been doing, especially when you're in somewhere like Malaysia. You want to take advantage of being there. So I got to do one thing. The rest of the time, I'm sat in a hotel room or on a plane with books open, getting ready. Getting ready, hopefully, to bless you. You have to give some stuff up sometimes if you can't find the time. I don't always get it right. Sometimes I neglect my family a little bit too much. But I'm fighting hard to get here every Sunday, make every Sunday evening prayer meeting, make every midweek group, make every worship rehearsal, and prep to preach, which took about 30 hours in total. I don't have spare time. But I'm focusing on the things that I decided nine months ago to stop playing FIFA online. It was an unwise use of my time and caught some breakages in the house. Didn't it? But I love playing it. That's one of the hardest things about giving up things that distract. You don't want to because they're really good. And I loved playing FIFA. But I made the choice and it's, not, it's gone. It's never come back. I only play FIFA rarely now with Joel. I never play it online anymore. And it's not like I'm killing anyone. It's not like a violent game. It's just it takes so much of my time. It is violent when I throw the remote across the room, that's for sure. <laughs> and I think Paul is really clear on this, so ignore him at your peril. Now I'm getting concerned. I've probably beaten a lot of you up. But I was beaten up when I was prepping it too. Just when you thought it was doom, there is a massive antidote about to come. Thank the Lord. I've been asking God to really fill me again, get me full up again. So on to the final point. Fullness. And don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody. It was such a great time of worship this morning, even though I think we sang one song, maybe, maybe three, but it was, we'll just roll them on to next week here. But what a great time of worship. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Another massive set of topics, but here goes. Don't get drunk. That's kind of clear, yeah? It always has and will always expose everything we talked about before. I know I used to drink a lot. When drunk, we lose our faculties, we lose our inhibitions. And 10 minutes of watching any of these things, like Manchester Police Force things, the Saturday night documentaries, that proves what happens when people get drunk. In fact, why don't you just ask the street angels? what it's like when people get drunk. They'll verify if you're not sure. It's almost a way of compare. But what actually is happening is he's comparing a lack of control with the ability to be self-controlled when you're filled with the Spirit. That's definitely one of the things. But there's even a greater, bigger, and better thing Paul is alluding to. Because after he said all of this, this is what he actually means. And... I think I'm all right for time. So Dan brought his props last week. Not to be outdone. Oh, oh, hey. Not to be outdone. Let me do my very best to 
demonstrate. We love science, don't we? So, this is essentially us before Christ. We are full of stuff, and this is made up of loads of chemicals. And there's all this stuff in us. And when we come to Christ, he says, that gone, you're now this. This has gone. Here you are. If I kick that over, we're in big trouble. So here is, let me just do this to make it higher. The cup has no part to play. It's nothing to do with the demonstration. Just getting it higher so you can see, all right? That's us now, saved. Set free of all our sin. Wonderful. It's good, isn't it? But if it stays like that, and we're not careful, what Paul's saying is, this will start to happen. It's coming back, slowly but surely. Here comes the patterns of your past, because that's what Scripture says. He's what he's been warning us about for ages. Next thing we know, still look the same, still saved, but it's coming back. And what Paul says is take the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit. This worked last night. If it doesn't work now, I will tell you what it should have looked like. And he says, we just fill you. Let's fill you with the Holy Spirit. Now, this looks good, but it's still there. He doesn't say be fit. He doesn't say get some. He says be full. Be full of the Holy Spirit. And if I went a bit slower, it all goes. And what he's saying is stay full. Because if you stay full, there's nothing left for that stuff to get back in again. Amen? God bless science. Now we have to acknowledge that Scripture says be filled, be filled. Not get a filling, be, stay full. And to push this stuff out. Because otherwise, leave gaps, leave it empty, and stuff's going to come back. This means rather than gossiping, lusting, and coveting stuff, you're more likely like this to be worshipping and praising because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. That said, being filled with the Holy Spirit, there's no formula to it. No special mechanism or place for filling. I had a picture this morning coming in, which I shared in the prayer meeting, which was really well attended. If you don't know, by the way, we pray at 10 o'clock for this church. The worship team and tech used to do it, and then we invited people, and people are now coming because they're praying that this, this morning goes so well, and this place becomes sanctified, and perhaps there's some evidence of it in how worship was this morning. But I had this picture I shared. It's like being a type 1 diabetic. Type 1 is the one where you have to inject yourself with insulin. When you first start doing that, you need a doctor to show you, yeah? But like every diabetic pretty much does, eventually they teach you how to do it yourself. And they say, you have to keep... You can't come to the doctor every time to get another injection. You don't crawl in saying, I'm eating sugar, help me! He says, no, you can do this daily. I don't know how regularly you have to do it, but regularly enough it will control it and keep it in check. You don't need to keep coming to me. So when you come to an elder and say, pray for me to be filled with the Spirit, praise God, I will of course do that. But we need to learn that it's actually for us to daily refill ourselves again and again and again, otherwise we'll end up back there again. 
So don't think you've got to go somewhere or visit some person. I really find it difficult when people say, I went to this church, it was so filled with the Spirit, I'm going again to be filled. No, that's great that it is, but that's not how it works. It works in you. It works in you, otherwise you become a worshipper of a type of church that's moving in the Spirit. And this church moves in the Spirit when you do. And when it doesn't, it's because we're not. Don't blame the elders or the church if you don't see it moving. It's because we're not moving in the Spirit. That's why it isn't happening, and that's why you don't want to come. And you blame the elders and you blame the church because you think there must be something wrong with it. I'm saying, when that happens, I know I'm part of the problem and I want more of Jesus, more of the power of the Spirit in me so that it bursts out of me and I'm light and I can worship and I can sing and I can declare the creed with all my heart because I'm filled with the Spirit at 9 o'clock this morning. Not four months ago when I went to visit someplace where they had the Spirit, like it's some kind of a trick. That wasn't in my notes. I may get in trouble for it. Let me just recap and close. If we're to live a life befitting of what imitates God, then I entitled this sermon W-W-A-G-I-D, which I think is probably here if I zoom back out again. Do you remember the What Would Jesus Do movement when we all got these wristbands? I kind of thought, yeah, I know what he would do, but I'm not him. So I had a bit of a problem with this. What about this? What would a God imitator do? What would a God imitator do? We've just heard about all of that stuff, so we know what a God imitator does. But in order to do that, because it's not easy, we need to be filled with the Spirit. That's how you live that kind of a life. In order to motivate us so we're not complacent or we're passive, I need to play on some emotions today. And I did say that this was going to be difficult. I've got two killer props. Do you guys want to come up? Hello, stand behind me. No further behind No, don't kidding. I love these two. They are my children. I love them with all my heart. Along with Jane, they are my most precious people in this planet, and you guys are close in that family too. Now, I want to see them grow in a great way. I want to see them see God in me, manifest in me and Jane. But here's the tough bit. I want them to see it in you as well. There are some things that some of you are so great at exemplifying. You are the best impersonators of certain characters of God. Some of these things, you're better than me and Jane. And that's great in this family. So if I want to see faithfulness, faithfulness modeled, I might tell Jess, why don't you go and spend some time with, with Liz Hollop? Or Joe, why don't you go and spend a bit of time with James Brown? Or Paul Hollop, through that fact. Go and spend some time with those guys and just see how they model God's faithfulness. If I want them to know about the heart of injustice and a heart for justice, and I say, spend time, guys, with Kat and Jenny and get to hear their hearts. They express wonderfully what God... You want to know about passion for the power of the Spirit's move? Sit down with Ruth Best, Paul Foster. They'll tell you some stuff. And many more of you. Steadfastness, steadfastness honour, commitment. Go and sit with Pete Wiles or Lewis Dalton. These guys model great character of God. And they have many attributes that they could share with you to model his character. But, there's that word again, but. What about if they spend every day with you, like some work experience limpet who never leaves your side? What about that moment you don't want them to see? What about that part of your life you're saying, don't come in when I've got the internet running? Or don't come in when I'm talking to this person about someone because that's kind of a bad thing for you two to hear. It wouldn't be good if you modelled how I'm doing this part of my life. You can sit down again. I know it's awkward being up here. Thank you, darlings. Love you so much. Yeah. Just keep them pictured in your mind because they're my precious children and we're all who love God, his precious children. So we're to do this to each other just like I feel about these two guys. 
So what about they spent time with you and you talked about money to them? And they said, why don't you talk to me about how you deal with people who don't kind of, you don't like? How do you deal with them? And you said, oh, don't, don't model me. What about they stood around at work while they heard you joking with some people about stuff or using crude language or down the pub or what about the stuff you just hoped was hidden, got exposed to the light in front of these two guys? That's heavy-handed. I know it is. But the reason that we would be uncomfortable is why we're in this season. God wants to say, you need to be imitators of God and I want to celebrate with you, but I want to light up some stuff so we can move on. Move on into what God's got for us. Now, I hope what Neil said didn't make you think that God moves everyone physically around. Because if he does, I'm the worst person in the world because I've been in this church now for 27 years. (laughs) He moves you physically, but he moves you spiritually. And my spiritual movement is a bigger movement than to Wales. I don't mean that to disrespect Wales. My growth that I've pursued in God is far more infinite than moving physically to another location. I travel the world with my job. I go everywhere. I have been as far as you can think of. It's not the emotional change in me, the spiritual change in me. It's much more significant than me circumnavigating the globe. It's a moving on. It's a deepening to be an imitator of God and not conform to the pattern of this world. So are you ready? Are you ready? One person is. Thank you, A. I know you are. I know you just don't know what to say now. Andy's got all kind of passionate and shouty. But are you ready for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit? Like that going into the oil, into your life. We need it. We all need it. None of us are exempt from requiring it. If you think you are, you're arrogant and you are smug. I need it and I'm an elder. Aaron needs it. I'm not saying any more than me or less. It's your decision. (laughs) He's a great pastor, great pastor. He's great. And he spends his, his time dedicated to you guys. And yet he would confess, yeah, I need to be kept full, kept filled. If you're someone who wants to receive a filling of the Holy Spirit, then why don't you stand up? I am standing up, by the way. I am up and ready. I thought about calling people forward for prayer, but I wondered how many would have the courage to stand, just stand up. I'm standing and I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to pray with you. That said, if you want to stay longer afterwards, what I've asked is the band would come back and perhaps do a couple of songs so you can stay here and just say, I'm not going for coffee, I'm just going to stay here and keep receiving. And if you want prayer, there'll be people here in the prayer team that will pray with you. Don't worry about that. And if you want to pray with Neil and Anne, go and find them and pray with them. You can stay here because the, the team are going to just play.